Hey, welcome to Faith Marketplace, where we equip individuals, entrepreneurs, small business owners with resources plus community to make a kingdom impact to glorify our mighty God while gaining inspiration from marketplace leaders. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Faith Marketplace, where we inspire, equip, and encourage Christians to lead where they're at, where they're planted, wherever you want to say, and it's by the walk, by the getaway, guys. It's by your walk. People see that. They're drawn to it. So... Uh, I am thrilled to uh, introduce you today to a gentleman that I met uh, about a month and a half ago at an event where he was speaking. It was a Faith and Work Summit, which was very impactful that day. And I have the opportunity to meet and I want to introduce you to Derek Keeson. He's a managing partner of two companies, One Center and also uh, Heron Ventures. They're here in Chicago. And welcome, Derek. Hey, Bob, so great yeah, to be with you today. Yeah, it's going it great, going? and I know, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you got a very busy schedule, and I know our listeners are going to be thrilled to hear some of the exciting stuff that you're doing and how God's working in your life and the companies that you've created. I think it's really awesome. But, you know, you shared with me a couple of uh, life quote and, and verse that is really uh, important to you. If you would share those with the audience, and then why are those important to you? Yeah, absolutely. And I love starting there. Um, I think um, a, a verse in particular that I think people talk about a lot is called is Micah 6, 8. Um, and uh, talking about, you know, justice and mercy and walking humbly with your God, like what could get better than that? Um, and I think, especially with what we do at both On Center and Heron Ventures is that a lot of what we do is global and touches um, different places of the world, whether that's here in the city of Chicago, or whether that's in Nairobi or in Jakarta or um, somewhere in the Middle East. Um, there's a lot. Um, I think the the scale of that, of what justice looks like, can really be daunting. And so there was something I was told recently by a friend of mine, Don Simmons, um, and it's actually not Micah 6.8, but it's a commentary in the Jewish Talmud over Micah 6.8. So I didn't actually know that uh, rabbis through time will kind of go through these different areas of the Bible and they'll go through and kind of have commentary on it. And then a hundred years later, another rabbi will come in and have a commentary on it. And they kind of build on each other's thoughts so that they're like kind of understanding. It's kind of this like kind of different like thought process of iron sharpens iron, which is kind of cool. And so this commentary on Micah 6, 8, I think is awesome because it says this, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And I just think that's so emblematic of the place that we find ourselves in in our work is that like it does feel like we could never do it or complete it. And if it was only up to us, we probably would just say, well, then we'll throw our hands up and focus on right. something else. But if it truly is up to God... And we know that it's not our responsibility to complete it all, but also that we're not free to ignore it. Um, I just think that's so beautiful. There's like so much grace in that verse, I think, for us. Um, you know, I, I love this. Uh, you know, I don't think we've ever had a guest on that really dug into this from what the Talmud and also these interpretations or enhancements of what that uh, what the verse means. You know, so that is awesome. <laughs> and what's the other one that you uh, shared? Yeah, so 
Jeremiah 17, 7, 8, you know, I think Jeremiah is an interesting book of the Bible, I think, because we, we talk a lot of, a lot of people mm-hmm. really like Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, and I think that's a, a great verse that talks about God having plans for right. you to prosper. And we kind of forget about everything that they were going through in exile before that moment is enormous. And so it sounds like this uh, kind of flowery verse if you don't have the context of the rest of the whole entire book of Jeremiah. Um, and so um, yeah. I guess I can read it first as blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious for the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So I think this just uh, speaks to us, I think, in terms like it feels like a drought a lot um, in the (laughs) work that we're doing. Um, We've decided to do something really hard um, and we've decided that it's going to be worth it. And so I think we constantly um, have to remind each other, you know, we're not a business where, you know, like I'm the CEO and I just tell everyone what to do. I've surrounded myself with other really capable leaders and we built a really great team. Um, I have to be reminded, um, that, that we're planted by the water and that we shouldn't fear. Um, and so having that, um, just constant reminder when things feel like the drought is coming, um, that our trust is not in actually, even if the stream is there, the Lord's the stream and our trust is in him. Yeah. So that's great. Um, and and thanks for that. You, you picked out some really great ones here and I'm just excited about this because, you know, it's so you, <laughs> you know, with what you're doing and, and we want to get into that. We want to share with our audience exactly what it is, one center and then Heron Ventures. So, um, why don't you share with the audience, what is the products or services for both of these companies? Yeah, sure. And they were never supposed to be separate, but that's how the Lord has drawn it up. So that's what we're doing. Um, on center, um, is a strategy consulting company. So we work with, we say pioneering leaders. We really like people who are trying to move fast and break stuff, do something new, do something different. That's never been done before. And we like coming in and supporting those middle market organizations kind of as they're facing like big inflection points or change. So the way that that typically works is through a long-term strategy engagement or an organizational change project. We also do it through what we call an executive summit, which is more like an offsite. So that's for teams who are really trying to kind of get unstuck and get the, get the ball rolling and kind of don't know where to start. So today we've worked with about 75 leaders in 30 countries since we got started in 2019. Um, and really excited about where that company is going um, as we just continue to work with those organizations that are really trying to make a difference. Um, the other side of the business is Heron Ventures. Um, so these are legally separated. There's a little bit of crossover in our teams in the way that we support both of these missions. Um, but Heron Ventures is a private equity company. So it's a private investment fund management company. Um, our goal is expanding the transformational influence of locally led entrepreneur communities, not in the US, in frontier and emerging markets. So we do that by making investments in frontier businesses beneath a locally defined vision. So this is a vision where local entrepreneurs, faith-driven entrepreneurs have gotten together and said, how do we want entrepreneurship to shape our culture and shape our nation? And we're coming in behind that vision to support them with capital um, and then getting into the dirty weeds uh, with them and their businesses and helping them 
uh, ultimately put together a business that's going to grow, employ people, um, impact their community, um, and then ultimately build leaders that are going to then go participate in the faith communities of their yeah. their regions. Yeah, that that's great. Now, are these kind of like micro loans for some of these companies, or are they really bigger? Or what's the size of these loans that you give, range wise? Yeah, so they they are a little bit bigger, um, and so there's a lot of really good micro organizations out there. Um, like um, I know Hope International is focused on that, although they they are now in the segment that we're in as well. Um, so there's lots of really good organizations, usually with some kind of blended finance model where they're using investment dollars, maybe, um, but they're using it in combination okay. with charitable dollars. So it's really hard to serve the micro sector in a way where you can kind of see like um, any type of real growth in the businesses. There's some businesses that are micro sized that are scalable, but most of, most of them really are not going to start employing people and grow um, and kind of create productivity um in the countries that they're in they some can and the 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 companies that are serving that segment are doing a fantastic job and we're glad that they're here um the segment that we're trying to serve is more of that middle layer um and people kind of commonly call it the the missing middle so in in the us um, and in western developed countries um, most of the businesses are small and medium-sized businesses so these are insurance brokerages real estate companies all of these middle-sized businesses. Obviously, we've got the Coca-Colas and the McDonald's on the top side. Um, but really, the, everyone cares like when they see the economic numbers come out about the small business numbers, because that is such a big part right. of our economy. And in developing countries, it doesn't exist. So it's almost unnoticeable. Um, that really important sector of the business and size of the, the uh, business that just is gone. So there's a lot of micro and then there's a lot of um, sort of really big multinational organizations that might be represented in the emerging markets or maybe there's government owned enterprises right. and things like that. Um, but there's really nothing okay. in the middle. So what we're trying to do is look down at the businesses that are in kind of the micro sector and say, which ones of those are scalable? How can we scale them into that middle range or how can we find a growth stage business and help them grow? Um, and okay. create more jobs. And ultimately, the, all of these businesses have um, a purpose for impacting the kingdom. So um, that's both through uh, what we would call more of the like obvious, clear things like discipleship or participating in in um, their local faith communities. And then also it's like creating shalom um, in, their, okay. in their communities. Um, so how to create that wholeness and peace and flourishing um, that God wants to see for their communities is super important. And I think often missed by us as Christians, where we um, will measure kind of single statistics, like how many people were evangelized, how many churches were planted, which are great things. Um, but we're trying to catch more of the whole of the person um, and really see that flourishing. Yeah, place that's well. great, Derek. Proud to welcome Inbound Studio as a sponsor of Faith Marketplace. Marshall Mullet, the owner, has a mission to help businesses be more efficient and effective in getting results from their marketing technology. With their vast experience, Inbound Studio builds websites using inbound marketing methodology that provides a beautiful visitor experience that has them coming back for more. As a result, the company has evolved to be a premier provider of web technology services in the Midwest. I encourage you to check them out at www.inboundstudio.com. In the side of um, 
on uh, on center. Um, what's the ideal size of a clients that you guys work with there? Now, the, the, this this is this type of consulting is mainly in the United States, right? What you do with on center? Yeah. So most of our most of our clients have been in the United States, but I would say over half of them have a okay. footprint, um, and they have intercultural teams. So that's one of the things we spend so much time outside of the U.S. And most of our team is okay. American. Um, but we do spend a lot of time with teams that are that are not um, entirely Western or American, kind of on both sides of the business. But our ideal kind of revenue size is call it between 10 okay. and 100 million. Um, that's kind of the sweet spot for the type of challenges that we're liking that we like to solve. Um, once you get above 100 million, a lot of times people will have kind of like internally dedicated strategy um, teams or kind of like HR transition teams right. and things like that. Or they kind of already know what their um, golden goose is and they kind of transition more into being less innovative and being more cost cutting, um, creating efficiencies, things like that, which are really good. And people need to focus on those challenges. We like a little bit more of the like, hey, we've been this organization for the last 20 years and we want to transition to something new and different and exciting or we need to reshape our team or inspire our team or help them work more effectively, things like that. Um, some of the more exciting challenges. Yeah, I would imagine that you saw quite a bit of this, this whole transformation and change for, and I certainly did through the pandemic, you know, where people really had to make a shift mm -hmm. in their business. So, was, you know, you, you really started this in 20, right? 20. Yeah. We did January 1st of 2020. Yeah, time really. To be alive, um, part of business. <laughs> so coming out of the pandemic, are you seeing uh, more interest in uh, things, to, you know, like you said, transformational change and how they're doing their business or what they're more focused on? Yeah, so we'll see a lot of a couple of different things, um, especially because like economic numbers are more challenging for folks to interpret right now, just given that our um, economy is being managed in a way that kind of is a departure from some of the ways that it's been managed in the past. So it's more difficult to interpret like jobs numbers and, um, you know, interest rates are really high. I've never known in my professional career rising interest rates, right? So people like, I think, who have only been working uh, for the last 17 years, we've mostly seen interest right. rates going down. So to see them going up, I think in the disruptions, like they're just new. And so for people older than me, I'm turning 40 this year. So for people older than me, they've seen that kind of stuff before, um, potentially. But for people younger than me um, or my same age, these are new um, kind of economic conditions. So what we see a lot of is indecision. So people just kind of not knowing what to do and kind of hanging on for tomorrow. Um, not making decisions is, is usually one of the worst yep. things. Um, so sometimes decisions are hard. Um, but you got to circle the wagons and make them and commit and make sure that everyone's on the same page, um, which is probably the second thing. We see a lot of kind of um, people not uh, quite figuring out how to get all of their teams aligned um, to go to a direction because it might not be exciting. Like it might be the type of situation where they've got to figure out how to battle down the hatches and get through the next time period, um, or they might need to reduce the size of their workforce. And those are hard things to do, um, but all of those different growth um, or non-growth or living for tomorrow type things actually can be exciting and inspiring to your team. And they can be done in a way that's honoring to the people who have been there, um, who may no longer be there at the company. And so like, I think all of those challenges, people are having trouble 
sort of making decisions in a way that's honoring to the teams and the way that they really want yeah. to honor their teams. Um, so it's just having support. Yeah, I would agree. What are some of the most common problems you're seeing when you get an engagement? Yeah. Um, you know, we focus on kind of three areas of a business. So it's um, something that is organizational, so related to people and teams and culture. Um, it could be related to the strategy. So what are the goals? Um, what, where are we trying to go? Or it could be related to operational systems, processes, uh, what are the different tools and things that people interact with on a daily basis in order to get their job done. Um, so most common, I would say, is um, lack of alignment between people and the goals of the company. So if you go kind of between strategy and organizational, um, it might not be because people are uh, willfully not in alignment with the strategy. Most of the time, right. they just don't know it. Um, and I think that that's, um, uh, I wouldn't have probably thought that, um, cause I'm a very strategic person. So I'm always thinking, where is the company trying to go? Okay. How do I orient myself in order to help support that mission? But a lot of times, um, I think leaders forget you've got to repeat, 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 yep. repeat where you're going. And the leadership team has got to be really aligned so that it's not just one person. You've got a whole kind of um, leadership team that's kind of repeating these same. Yeah, they're all on the same page. Right. Um, otherwise, it's really easy to fall out of alignment. I think the other one, um, and this, every organization has this. My organization has this. It's just to what extent. So, um, kind of the difference between stated culture and unstated culture. So, stated culture are the values we write down, the mission statement, uh, the vision statement. Um, we might have like key behaviors that we say we do at the company and we write those down and we define them. We put them on our website. We celebrate them. We might even give, give people awards for displaying them. Um, and then the unstated culture is like what we yeah. actually do. Um, and what we actually do is necessarily different because um, we're not perfect and we're not robots. So we're not going to come in and be able to reflect those perfectly every single day. Um, but how big is the gap between those two things? is really important for a company's performance. Now that sounds like something that people either wouldn't notice or they would just live with or whatever that might be, but it's actually one of the number one contributors to an employee feeling disengaged um, or an employee kind of feeling like they're like this purpose of this company isn't really that important to me or I don't relate to the leaders that much anymore. Um, and I'll just restate what that is, because that's a big statement that I just made. One of the most important things to uh, an employee's engagement is one, how much do they relate to those stated values of where we're going? How much are the leaders reflecting those stated values in the stated purpose, the people that are leading them every day? And how much do they see the people around them or their own ability to reflect those behaviors and values yeah. in the workplace? If those are really far out of alignment, what usually will happen is a, is a leadership team will come to us and be like, wow, people, we're not getting our goals done and we just don't know okay. why. Um, and so it's usually something there. They think it is kind of more related to the goals are bad or um, the numbers they calculated were wrong. But a lot of times it just has to be has to do with people's ability to come into work every day and want to pursue um, the strategy. Okay, well, listen, a lot of this has to do also a bit with your personal journey and how you got into doing this whole thing yourself. So why don't you share briefly your mm -hmm. testimony, your spiritual journey you were on? I found it fascinating how you had a kind of a Saul Paul moment, didn't you? <laughs> I sure did. Um, yeah, so 
my spiritual journey is probably a roller coaster. So if you're out there and yours has been similar, um, you're among friends. Um, so I grew up going to church, went to a non-denominational church um, here in Illinois, in rural Illinois. Um, and I would say I was actually in high school, I was pretty confident in my faith. Um, there was a little bit of a falling out at my church community when I was in high school. And that kind of led to um, my parents kind of feeling like, ah, this isn't the right place for us anymore. And they just kind of never really re-engaged with the church. And so I was leaving for college right at this time. Um, and as that happened, I kind of was like, well, I'm going to go to like crew and I'll do that every once in a while, but I'm not really going to go to steady church. And so that really led me to really kind of fall away from my faith for probably the better part of 11 years. Um, and I, I always would have described myself as a believer during that time, which is actually really interesting. Um, but I just had no way of interpreting the Bible right. for myself. Um, I didn't have the tools because I stopped learning as a junior in high school um, and didn't have anybody really helping me understand you know, what that meant. Like I was still believing like, man, okay. So like people say they hear from the Lord, like, is that audible? Right. Do they hear words? And if they do, and I don't, does that mean yeah. I'm not a Christian? Like all right. of those things that like, I just was really super insecure. So like I was trying to go to church in Chicago and I would come in and um, so this is like 2008, 2009. And I would just feel like um, I would feel like an outsider. I would feel like uh, I just didn't know enough. And if people were asking me questions, like here I am as like a 24 year old and I should know this by now um, kind of feeling. And so I would make up all these excuses about like the church community, why I didn't want to go. But really it was because like I felt shameful and guilty that I like didn't know this stuff. And so I created a kind of defense mechanism and I was really just lying to myself in many ways. So for, so for most of my twenties, um, I really did not have a consistent, um, church community. Um, and yeah, the big kind of Saul Paul moment, um, was I was on a, uh, a short-term mission trip to Guatemala city, um, in 2013. So it's funny, I'm going on mission trips, even though I don't <laughs> go to church. Right. Um, and I remember that, you know, this is in, um, in a landfill in Guatemala city. And if anyone's been there, they know there's about 11,000 people that live in this landfill. It's like, there's actually a whole community that live in this garbage dump. It's one of the biggest garbage dumps in, in North, North and South America. Um, and we were taking some groceries out to some families and we were just praying with them. Um, and so we walk into this kind of like crude shelter, you know, it's kind of like a few pieces of like corrugated you know, like tin aluminum, probably, yeah. um, right. shelter that was not, it was, it wasn't really right. a, a house. Um, and there was a grandmother, a mother, um, and some kids living in this house. There were no adult men there. Um, and so we're like kind of talking to grandma and we're, we're getting ready to like pray with them. This is like $11 worth of groceries. So this is like flour, oil, right. yeah, you know, kind of like the yeah. basics. And she just like reaches out and like touches my arm and is like, I've been praying for you guys to come, you know, for weeks and here you are and you've come as an answer to my prayers. And I'm just like, I, my brain didn't even know what to do with it because I was feeling so ungrateful for everything that I had in this moment of like, I can't believe God, you know, is really looking out for me because of all these things that haven't gone my way yet. Here's this grandmother living with her daughter and her daughter's children, um, where $11 of groceries is the difference between them eating this next wow. couple of weeks. 
and she is like wow. full of faith. And I'm just like, how in the world can I continue to have barriers between myself yep. and my faith? And so that was really the moment where I kind of, kind of took no prisoners and had to come back and um, sort of face myself and get back in, uh, get back into a faith. Are you looking for ways to increase your business? Are you hungry for business relationships that matter, that helps you grow personally, professionally, and spiritually? Well, welcome to G7 Networking with Purpose, where we form relationships that lead to quality referrals and life transformation. Experience networking with others of like mind and spirit via monthly meetings that follow a powerful format that invites interaction and connection. Immerse yourself in the proprietary G7 app, sharing leads, prayer requests, and increased visibility with the entire G7 network. Chapters are forming now in the Chicagoland area and around the U.S., so please visit g7networking.com for details and search for a chapter near you. G7 is looking for well-connected leaders to, of integrity and purpose, looking for what's next. If this sounds like you, please reach out to us via website, again, g7networking.com. Or if you're interested here in Chicago, just text me at 847-922-1498. Again, Bob Lambert, text me at 847-922-1498. That you shared with me, you had a couple of mentors that really kind of mentored you professionally that were pretty profound as far as how that shaped you and now some of the things that you're incorporating in, in your own businesses. So uh, why don't you share with the audience very briefly who they were and what was it about them? And, and also uh, you're known for something, I guess, uh, <laughs> with them. Oh yeah. That I don't really get to take credit for because yeah. I didn't come up with it. Um, yeah. So, so Rich, uh, Rich Berg and Phil Nussbaum, who were the founders at Performance Trust, it was really my, um, I had had a job out of college for less than a year and then found my way over to Performance Trust and ended up working there for 13 years. Um, and that was my first glimpse, I think, working at Performance Trust of like what God's economy actually mm. looks like um, versus what we think our economy um, is. So like our economy um, leads us to hoard resources, hoard power, um, like literally, if you look at like all of the models you use in business school, I'll give you an example. Porter's five forces. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, it's your company is in the middle and everybody you interact with is, is outside around you. And it's like your suppliers, your customers, your other people, whoever that is. And it talks about how do you know how much power you have in this relationship so that you can leverage it for your own benefit. That is literally what we train people in business school to do. And instead, what I had at Performance Trust first was being able to witness, we would actually sacrifice short-term revenue. So we were a trading firm. So we traded bonds to community banks. We helped them manage their bond portfolios um, and their asset liability position and their regulatory position. And so these are the, the main street banks that they're the ones who build the high school gymnasium, they're the ones that are doing kind of all of those projects, small businesses, farmers, all of that in these local communities, and that really know the pulse of their community. Um, much different than like a JP Morgan or Bank of America, kind of like the big banks. So it's kind of like one of the main differences between those. So we were like, this is a, a noble thing, I think, to serve these Main Street banks and help them continue to do that well. And we would say, well, we could make more money on this investment versus mm -hmm. that investment. 
Um, but we're actually looking out for our clients' long-term ability to serve their community. And so then therefore we're going to forego this trade that we could do today and that they would accept. And we're going to do this other one that's better for them and worth less money to us. And what that turned into were, were these amazing flourishing relationships between our company and our clients that really led to the long-term flourishing of both of us. And that's God's economy. That was us sacrificing in the short term for the long-term flourishing of somebody that's in our orbit. And that happened to be these main street banks. So that was the first thing um, that I learned there that I was like, once I uh, went out on my own in 2019 and started the company in 2020, was like, what is that to us? Um, and the other piece of that, um, and this is where I don't know if it was Rich or Phil, because I just think both of them said it so much and it was just ingrained into my head. So this is the thing that I don't get to take credit for, but people often credit to me, is just asking the question, I wonder mm. if that's true. Um, there was a lot of what we do um, in investing in frontier markets, um, how to run a private equity fund, what, um, what does a seed stage business do? What is a series A, series B, series C? What do you do if you're going public? Um, what, how should a, on the consulting side, how should a, a company manage their workforce? Um, how should we think about workforce development, training? How do we equip our employees? How do we decide if we're going to hire or fire people? All of those things have generally accepted truths embedded within them that people just do because that's the way you do them. And so this, this phrase, I wonder if that's true, isn't saying, well, I know the way we've done it isn't right. But what it is saying is I'm going to inspect all of the underlying assumptions that went into doing things this way. And I'm going to arrive at, do I believe that we're really supposed to continue doing it this way? Or now that I know all of those underlying assumptions and can test them for myself, do I actually believe there's a different yeah. way we should be doing this? That's great. Um, and I think for us, what that reveal, what that ends up doing is we end up what we say is like, I think we're borrowing some Christian language, but like we find third doors yeah. all of the time because people are saying, right. you have to do this or right. you have to do this. And I'm saying, I yep. wonder if that's true. I actually think there's probably a I solution love that. I, I, that's that's what I'm so, going to pick yeah. up and use. So as you know, there's no thing such thing as stealing anymore. It's just called borrowed brilliance. Okay. <laughs> that's right. And right. I, it wasn't mine to begin with. So I have added okay. all your experience. Hey, um, what about, because uh, we're going to, I want to get to these two. What words of wisdom would you have given to your younger self? Now, knowing what you know, we've got uh, parents and grandparents out there. What words of wisdom would you pass along? Yeah, I think the first one, I've hired a lot of young people um, in my life, typically coming out of college um, from top schools, especially in the Midwest. And um, I think based on kind of the way that our education system is set up, um, has a lot to do with like hitting milestones, getting to the next thing, um, and then hitting that milestone, getting to the next thing. And so when you come into the workplace, you kind of expect that that's going to be the same way. And for some companies, it kind of can be. Um, so there are like bigger organizations that kind of set up like, here's the ladders mm -hmm. you go through. Um, and once you're a analyst level one, you become an analyst level two, and here's what you need to do to get there. Um, that's possible. But the problem is the company can't really control what the financial condition of the company is right. going to be at all times. So those 
that your ability to climb that ladder might be infringed upon by things that are outside okay. of the company's control, outside of your control. Um, and also trying to climb that ladder might actually not be good for you. Um, and so a lot of times I found this to be true for me, um, where I was always looking for the next thing because of my own ambition and wanting to grow and move up. And um, that in some ways there wasn't a rung to grab. Um, and in some ways um, it wasn't actually the best thing for me to go find that next position. And so I think like this idea um you know, actually the thing that unlocked kind of everything for me in the, the middle part of my career is I went to get my MBA at Northwestern in 2015. And um, I was still working at the time, but I had really felt like I had sort of stagnated and I like couldn't really figure out what the next thing was for me. It was really making me unhappy at work. And I was still trying to figure out this ladder thing. And then I just kind of take myself out of that setting and I start going to Northwestern, literally just learning mm -hmm. and growing. And of course, there were like very practical things that I learned while I was there. But really, the main thing was just how do I continue to learn and grow as an individual in ways that will continue to serve me, regardless of what this ladder is. And lo and behold, a different ladder came around that I was like, oh, this is where <laughs> I'm supposed to go. And so I think just not being overly concerned about this like okay. perfect path um, and not meaning that like you shouldn't want, um, you know, a flourishing career. I think that's okay to want that. Um, but just not really expecting it to be this linear journey. But when you're in those moments of stagnation, not being like, oh my gosh, I got myself on the wrong path, but being like, okay, how do I continue to learn? How do I continue to grow? And how do I continue to find out, you know, yeah. what the next thing is? So might kind of Derek, my takeaway on this is patience, you know, don't go jump into the next thing just because you're not, you know, not uh, on a pre-planned path that you have uh, set up, and uh, and and always to yeah, be thoughtful I, and keep I asking those patient. questions that you ask. That I think that's great. Um, so yeah. uh, I do think there's one caveat I would make maybe before we move on to the next thing. There's one caveat I'd make, which is that if you're in a like toxic mm -hmm. situation, if you can truly look at this and be like. I am stuck in a spot that is really yeah. harming me. Um, I'm not saying that you're supposed to still sit there right. and just be patient and something's going to come out on the other side. Um, so if you're in that spot, um, find some mentors to help you sort through and support you in figuring out how amen, long you amen. There because it might I, not be. Boy, do I agree with spot. that. Mentors and coaches, they're worth their weight in gold. And there's a lot of uh, older executives or, and people in your life or in, in, in your family, whatever that might be, that would just love to reach down and help a younger person. Um, and so I, mm. that lights me up. I, that gives me juice every single time I get the opportunity of doing that. Um, uh, interesting, amazing, funny, and cool about you. Real quick, and we got to wrap this up. Yeah, um, it was funny. We were joking before the show that this is the hardest right. question for me to answer because I'm so focused on growing right. these two businesses. Um, and my team tells me all the time that I need right. to have more fun. <laughs> um, so I'll talk about one of my great, um, one of my passions in life was doing sort of endurance sports, not because I was any good at them. Um, but I've, I've run 12 marathons in my life. Wow. I did the Ironman in 2015. And so I think maybe was funny and maybe emblematic about the way I live my life um, out loud all the time um, is that I 
my cousin had invited me to be um, to stand up in his wedding um, back in 2015. And I was like, of course, I would love to. Um, and I was like, what's the date? And he said the date. And I was like, oh, no, uh, the Iron Man is the next day. So for those who don't know, the Iron Man is like a two mile swim, um, a 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. So it takes, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours to complete this whole thing. Everyone the day before very concerned about their sleep. Instead, I said, you know what? I'll figure it out. It's going to mean I'm not going to have the best race day, but of course I want to stand up in your wedding. You're yeah. like a brother to me. So stood up in a wedding on Saturday night, did the Ironman <laughs> the next morning, starting at 4 a.m. And then the very next day on Monday, started business school at, oh, at Northwestern. So um, that is, every day yeah. isn't like that for me, but I think just the way I stack things up, I just can't get enough of life and I will try to fit it all in um, just because I love it. I love it. To well, Derek, you've been generous with your time and information. Let's let the audience know, how can they get a hold of you if they have an opportunity to, uh, or want to investigate working with you uh, on, uh, on Center or uh, exploring Heron Ventures, you know, and some of the things you're doing outside the country, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our team is all over LinkedIn. We love connecting professionally okay. on LinkedIn. So that's probably the easiest way is linkedin.com slash in slash Derek Kesson, okay. just like my name, D-E-R-E-K-K-E-S-S-E-N. Drop me a message, connect with me. Um, would love to connect you with other folks on our team, whether that's um, a work-related thing, whether that's like you're looking for somebody to co-labor with and just like go through professional life with. Um, ben on our team is also part of the faith and work movement here in Chicago. Um, so connecting on those kinds of things, uh, we just, we live for that, um, living out our faith and, um, in and through life and work and all I the love it. I love it. About. So definitely drop well, us a line I, on I can't show. thank you enough, especially on short notice that you've made it and you've made the time for us today. I know that our, our audience hopefully felt inspired, equipped, and encouraged today with some of the things you passed along, some of the wisdoms, and, and the great work that you're doing. I just so admire how you've structured things in going out there to do this in a godly way and help build kingdom businesses, not only here in the U.S., but also giving a hand up to those emerging companies that are outside the U.S. that really need this kind of help. So, uh, brother, I, I my hat's off to you, and uh, I'll be praying for your success. Well, folks, <clears throat> stay tuned for our next episode coming up in a couple of weeks, where we'll have another fabulous interview. But in the meantime, uh, please go out and check out faithmarketplace.com. We have all uh, we have our podcasts listed up there as to you can take and hit the button and get it to one of our podcasts. Additionally, there's a donation button, and that's how this ministry runs. So if you have uh, some extra pennies out there that you could throw our way to keep us going. We'd really, really appreciate that. And we'll see you then, then the next podcast.